So that just happened. That was pretty much what I said the entirety of last night. It was a wild day around Big East men's basketball. And over on the women's side, a lot happening there too, including with only seven players, UConn putting up a crooked number against Seton Hall in Walsh, no less. Maddie Watch coming down to the wire. Again, a lot to unpack. Maybe even more so than last week. The last episode, I should say. On this brand new edition of the Igloo with me, Timmy Ice. Now, where do we begin? Well, let's start with MLK Day, shall we? Villanova hosting Georgetown at the Finn. And Villanova... They got off to a great start. Georgetown was able to cut it down to four at halftime. Actually, it was a one-point game. They got down to one with about two minutes left in the half. Mark Armstrong knocked down a three to make it 37-33. That is what the score stayed at halftime. And then Georgetown, they had all the opportunities in the world to win this game. They actually led by six. And if I'm not mistaken, that was their biggest lead. Yeah, their biggest lead was six points, which they got in the second half, no less. It was 62-56 with about eight minutes to go. And then Villanova went on a monster run. A 12-1 run to turn it the six-point deficit into a five-point lead. Georgetown, they wouldn't give up, though. They actually scored the next six unanswered. To retake the lead... And the funny thing is, I was watching this game at fucking Applebee's because they have the all-you-can-eat for $14.99 with, you know, the boneless wings, the double crunch shrimp, and riblets. I had the boneless wings, by the way, because I'm a man of taste. And Villanova, they made the plays when they needed to. Georgetown didn't, and not to mention... You had some really bad game management on the part of Patrick Ewing. You're down one in the final minute. You see the play going nowhere as I can't remember who it was uh, that was driving and then passed it all the way back towards where Ewing was standing um, right at the edge of the coach's box, which is like 30 feet from the basket. For some inexplicable reason, Ewing doesn't call a timeout, and he has the timeout. And was that lead to a steal and a breakaway dunk for Cam Whitmore? Then Ewing uses his timeout. I'm just like sitting in Applebee's. I- I'm thank God I didn't say this. I'm like, what the fuck is he thinking? Timeout's supposed to be your friend. And he just didn't use his timeout properly. And in the end, Villanova. And by the way, they drew up the, as someone pointed out, they drew up the Damian Lillard play with seven seconds left. From the 2014 playoffs, I think it was. And that play was used for Lillard to get a three off in .9. Not seven seconds. So they drew that play up. Another example of poor game management. 
They miss the three. Wayne Bristol misses the three. Villanova makes one of two at the line, and the streak continues to 28. Villanova, 77-73. Pretty well-balanced effort for the Wildcats. 16 to lead the way for Caleb Daniels. 15 for Brandon Slater, including that game-winning steal where he got it out to uh, Cam Whitmore on the breakaway. Whitmore finished with 13 points on 5 of 13 shooting and 3 of 5 from behind the arc. Eric Dixon, 12 points. But the big X factor in 30 minutes off the bench, Mark Armstrong, the freshman with 14 points, 5 of 7 from the floor, and a perfect 2 of 2 from deep. And that made up for the fact that Chris Archidiakon only had a couple free throws in 22 minutes. And then off the bench, Brendan Housen knocked down a three. And then Trey Patterson with two points in 14 minutes. Villanova, to think that they got a rebound at 33-21. They also, you know, I will say they did a great job protecting the ball. Seven turnovers compared to Georgetown's 13 and they really hunkered down defensively when they needed to. And they overcome the fact that Georgetown also shot nearly 54% from the floor, but they made up for it with really good three-point shooting at 8 for 16. And they got 23 free throws on 31 attempts, which percentage-wise, that's well below their average. So for Georgetown, 19 to lead the way for Primo Spears, who played all 40 minutes. So again, 19 points, 3 boards, 7 assists, 8 of 13 from the floor. Jordan Riley with 18 points on 8 of 12 shooting and 2 of 3 from behind the arc. Brandon Murray returned to the lineup and had 10 points in 37 minutes, 2 of 8 from the floor. And I will say Georgetown, you know, they had their chances to claw their way back. And they missed important free throws and Brandon Murray missed a, a couple of them. Meanwhile, Bryson Mozone. It's, it's either Mazone or Mozone. It's one or the other. I've heard it multiple ways, just through PA or broadcast. But Mazone had nine points, all from behind the arc. Three for five in 17 minutes off the bench. Six points for Caduce Wahab. Four for a Cook a Cook. And Bradley Ezawiro. And Ezawiro fouled out. 15 minutes off the bench, four points, seven rebounds. And then they got three from Wayne Bristol Jr., which did not come on that three he took late in the game. Villanova, again, 50% from behind the arc. Georgetown was just 5 of 14. That's 35.7%. And Villanova, still solid shooting the ball, nearly 49%. Again, Georgetown nearly 54 But Villanova is your winner. And Georgetown now 28 consecutive Big East losses. Now, Tuesday night, speaking of long losing streaks, Creighton finally won at Hinkle for the first time since January 31st, 2017. And they did so with a pretty dominant effort, 73-52. And defensively, they really locked it down in the second half to pull away for an easy victory. And you want to talk about balance? Creighton had that. They got major contributions for the bench, which, again, they desperately needed it. You had four stars and double figures. Baylor Shireman and Ryan Nemhard each with a dozen. And Nemhard, 11 rebounds. 
Again, this guy's only, what, six feet? Yeah, I was right. Six feet tall. Shireman, three boards, five assists. Four of eight from the floor, two of three from behind the arc. Nemhard five for nine and two for four from deep. 11 each for Ryan Kalkbrenner and Trey Alexander. Kalkbrenner, nine rebounds and a couple blocks. Five of nine shooting. Alexander, five for ten from the floor, one of three from deep. Arthur Kaluma, nine points and eight rebounds in 31 minutes, but the bench came to play. Frederick King was dominating in the paint early in the first, early in the game, mostly in the first half. Eight points in just eight minutes, four of seven from the floor. And Francisco Farabeo, eight points in 20 minutes, three of 10 from the floor, and two of eight from behind the arc. Stevie uh, Sharif Mitchell, excuse me, had two points in three minutes. 47-24 edge on the glass. Falcal was pretty low too, 12 to 11, and then on turnovers just 9 to 7. Butler committed just 7 turnovers, but again, dominated on the glass. And the funny thing is, they were 8 of 14 from behind the arc. That's 57%. But they got held to just 12 of 44. Inside the arc, and I think that's the first time in quite a long time that Creighton has held an opponent under 30% from two. Whereas Creighton was 7 of 22 from deep. Inside the arc, 23 for 42. I almost said 44. 23 of 42. That, in comparison, fifty, nearly 55%. And they shot nearly 47% from the floor overall. Pretty short. Rotation for Thad Mata. Simas Lukosis with 18 points a game high. 7-12 from the floor. 4-5 from deep. Played all 40 minutes. Only other player in double figures. Again, no Manny Bates again. Uh, Jalen Thomas, the lone big in the starting lineup. 10 points, 7 boards on 5-10 shooting. Connor Turnbull with 6 points off the bench in 9 minutes. And he was perfect from behind the arc. 2-2 two two to get those 6 points. 5 each for Chuck Harris, Eric Hunter Jr., and Jaden Taylor, three points only for Ali Ali. So Creighton finally exercising some demons at Hinkle with that victory. And then we get to Wednesday. Number 15, UConn. And by the way, obviously, unless you live under a rock, you know what the storyline coming in was, you know, having lost four of their last five. And then you have the added bonus of head coach Dan Hurley and top assistant Kamani Young testing positive for COVID. That means the acting head coach was Luke Murray, the son of legendary actor Bill Murray. And, you know, it's not like, you know, he's just, you know, I got the job because of my name. No. He's been an assistant at Louisville, not not Louisville, Illinois, Xavier under Chris Mack, and Louisville for that matter, so I was right, and now at UConn. And UConn, despite that, was dominating. They were up 14 at halftime, 40-26. to 26. And they led pretty much the entire game. But Seton Hall, they chipped away, chipped away, and unlike the Kevin Willard teams of the past, they didn't try to play hero ball and just forced up a bunch of threes. And as a matter of fact, 
They only made four threes the entire game. So they really, they chipped away and chipped away. But they didn't take their first lead of the game until a minute and eight seconds left. When Kadari Richmond knocked down a jumper to make it 65-64. to And UConn led by as many as 17 in this one. As I can see, biggest lead was 37-20 to after an Alex Caravan 3 with three minutes left in the first half. But again, just chip away, chip away. Seton Hall did, and then UConn went up one. Seton Hall got some important stops in the final minute. Well, no, okay, they got, yeah, yeah, they got one important stop. You know, they got a, UConn called a timeout, 30 seconds left, and then Time running out on the shot clock. Alex Caraban missed a three. Seton Hall called timeout in the in the front court after Femi Odukali grabbed the rebound. And then you got four blue jerseys underneath on a Odukali three attempt. Hits the front rim. Maybe it's just luck. Maybe it's just a lack of will. Again, one white jersey, four blue jerseys underneath. The guy in the white comes with it, comes away with it. And Casey and Defo. Big and one. They call the foul on Sonogo, but looking at the replay, I think the foul was actually on Andre Jackson. Because I think Jackson got him more on the arm, way more than Sonogo did. So, that puts Seton Hall ahead with 1.6 left on the clock. And Defo misses the free throw, which... Actually, that was for the better. And UConn, clearly not enough time to get off a final shot. And that's the game. UConn, the downward spiral continues, whereas Seton Hall's upward trend just continues to skyrocket. A massive upset, 67-66. Easily, now this is Shaheen Holloway's signature win so far with the Hall. Kadari Richmond, 18 points to lead the way, 10 rebounds, 5 of 11 from the floor, and 8 of 10 from the free throw line. And Defo with those, with the, the game winner, 14 points, 8 rebounds, a couple block shots, and a couple nasty dunks as well. Al Dawes with 11 points and a couple assists, 4 of 14 from the floor, just 1 of 8 from behind the arc. So, hey, you know, after a couple really strong games shooting the rock, I mean, you're bound to come back down to earth at some point. Tyree Samuel with 9 points and 7 boards in 27 minutes. 5 points for Femi Odukali. 2 for 6 from the floor. And then the bench only contributed 10 10 points total. Jameer Harris with 4 points in 18 minutes. And then a 3 each from Trey Jackson and Trey Davis. I think both of those were in the first half. And so that makes it even crazier that they probably... Only made one three-pointer the entire second half. And they only shot 19% from behind the arc. Four for 21, whereas UConn started off red hot from three. Nine for 23. But they were only 39% from the floor. Seton Hall, 41%. So they were converting more of their looks inside the arc, where they shot 54%. 
UConn held the edge on the glass, 40-32, but 18 Husky turnovers compared to 9 for Seton Hall. And the, and the Pirates also blocked 6 shots. Adama Sonogo, as I mentioned, he fouled out. 6 for 14 from the floor, 16 points. 13 from Jordan Hawkins, although he did most of his damage in the first half. 4 of 8 from the floor and 3 of 6 from deep. Tristan Newton, 11 points, 2 of 5 from the floor and 1 of 4 from behind the arc. Alex Caraban, 9 points, all from behind the arc. Donovan Klingen, 7.6 rebounds in 11 minutes. And he got himself into foul trouble. As did Hassan Diara, 2 points off the bench in 15 minutes. 5 points, 10 boards, 4 assists in 31 minutes for Andre Jackson. 2 of 4 from the floor, knocked down his only 3-point attempt of the game, which was a step back. And then Joey Calcaterra knocked down a 3 in 12 minutes. I mean, is it time to hit the panic button now? It's kind of like that one South Park episode where they have the show is like, is it oh, is now the time to be okay to start to worry? That's what this feels like. If you thought that was the only crazy upset on the men's side, DePaul upset number eight Xavier, and they beat him in Chicago for the first time since January 3rd, 2015. In a wild game, and by the way, Caleb Murphy made his first appearance of the season for the Blue Demons. The South Florida transfer had missed the first 18 games of the season due to injury, but he's back, and he made a difference off the bench, and Xavier, you know, give him credit, you know, they went down early, but they took the lead 70-68 on an Adam Kunkel layup with about a minute 40 to go. And it was just a drama-filled game. And the game winner came courtesy of Deshaun Nelson. Game-winning layup assisted by Emoja Gibson with 28 seconds left. And then from there, Sule Boom got the look he wanted, missed the layup, Erol Penn got the rebound. Uh, well, they got a Xavier timeout. I think after... I think DePaul called the timeout. And then Z- Actually, no, 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 no. There was a rebound. And then I think it was... They called a timeout or something like that. Or no, they checked the monitor. That's, that's what it was. And then... They might have messed it up. I don't know. But... DePaul still a massive upset. They hand Xavier their first loss of Big East play, 73-72. 22 points for Umoja Gibson, 7 of 16 from the floor and 5 of 10 from behind the arc. 16 for Javen Johnson, 6 of 11 from the floor and 3 of 6 from deep. 10 off the bench, including the game winner for Deshaun Nelson. Erol Penn, 9 points, 10 rebounds. And in his season debut, Caleb Murphy in 24 minutes, 8 points, 4 of 12 from the floor. Big reason why DePaul won, 3-point shooting. Yes, they got a rebound at 45-34. Yes, they committed more turnovers, 11-10. to 10. But 9 of 20 from 3, Xavier was 4 of 20. And they also held Xavier under 40% from the field at 38%. And then also, you know, six points for Philmont Gebrowit, two points in 15 minutes for Yorin A. 
For Xavier, 18 to lead the way for Zach Fremantle with 12 rebounds, 7 of 13 from the floor. Jack Nungy also with a double-double, 16 points, 13 boards, 6 of 12 from the floor, and 2 of 4 from behind the arc. Adam Kunkel, 14 points, 6 of 12 from the floor, and 2 of 7 from deep. 10 off the bench for Jerome Hunter in 17 minutes, although he did foul out. 8 points in 32 minutes from Colby Jones, but he he struggled. 3 of 14 from the floor, 0 of 5 from behind the arc. And Sule Boom also didn't have... He, I mean, he had a night to forget also. 4 points on just 1 of 12 shooting. 3 boards, 6 assists, and then Kiki Tandy knocked down a couple free throws. Playing in only 3 minutes. So... That has to be the biggest win of the Tony Stubblefield era so far. And then going a little bit north into Milwaukee, a top 25 matchup between number 22 Providence and number 20 Marquette. By the way, UConn, I mean, as expected, because I put this out before the AP poll dropped on Monday, the last episode, I should say. UConn dropped to 15. Xavier went all the way up to number 8. And despite losing to Xavier Sunday, Marquette dr- moved all the way up to number 20. Providence fell to 22. And Marquette, with the 2003 team, led by Dwayne Wade in attendance. The Golden Eagles put on a clinic and improved to an incredible 7-2 in conference with an 83-75 win over the Friars to get avenge that double overtime loss. At Amica Mutual Pavilion. Cam Jones with 21 points on 8 of 14 shooting. 4 of 8 from deep. Tyler Kolick, 19 points. 8 boards, 6 assists. 5 of 11 from the floor and 1 of 2 from deep. 8 of 8 from the charity stripe. 13 for Omax Prosper. 10 for Osobigadaro with 5 boards and 4 assists. Stevie Mitchell with 8 points on 3 of 8 shooting in 25 minutes. Off the bench... Chase Ross with 7 points in 15 minutes. 5 points for David Joplin in 17 minutes. As a whole, Marquette nearly 53% from the floor. 8 of 19 from deep. That's 42%. 9 turnovers compared to 13 for Providence. And they hold the Friars to just 4 of 18 from deep. But the Friars did shoot 47.5% overall. And held the edge on the glass 34-27. Ed Croswell leads the way with 20 points and 7 rebounds. Bryce Hopkins, 19 points, 10 boards, 9 of 16 shooting. And 4 assists. Devin Carter with 18 on 5 of 9 shooting and 2 of 5 from deep. 9 points for Allen Breed in 27 minutes. 2 of 8 from the floor, 1 of 3 from deep. Noah Locke really struggled. Five points, two of 11 from the floor, one of seven from three, and then just two points each off the bench from Clifton Moore and Corey Floyd Jr. So a 12-4 bench advantage. And again, Providence continuing to feel the effects of not having Jared Bynum around. I mean, the Big East Twitter account said it best. This is a fun basketball league. Damn right it is. And you look at the standings now. Xavier still in first. Marquette right behind. Providence in the three spot. Creighton and Seton Hall round out the top five. And now UConn has fallen all the way to six. They are now under 500 in the league at four and five. 
And then you got a three-way tie between St. John's. I'm going to, you know, because it's based on tiebreakers right now. I mean, because they actually have a one-in-one record against each other. So that tie is between DePaul Okay, hold on. I'm I'm going to get to the bottom. So the tie is between DePaul, St. John's and Villanova. And then Butler 10, Georgetown 11. So Villanova would technically get the 9 seed right now. Absolute madness in Big East men's basketball, but the chaos, hey, that's what makes the Big East the Big East. Just everyone just beating up on one another and road games being very, very, very difficult to win. Because now, home teams are 31-15 and 15 in Big East play. That win percentage, 67.4%. Or I should say, that's a 674 winning percentage. I put it into context on Twitter recently. The previous high for best home win percentage in Big East play, it's a tie between, what, 2014 and 2019 at 611. So if this pace keeps keeps up, that's going to crush that record. So... That is everything that happened on the men's side, and I definitely don't want to say that on the women's side, sure it was tame, but there's still a lot of good stuff to discuss on that side of the Big East, too. So, what happened on the women's side of the Big East on Tuesday and Wednesday? Well, let's start in South Orange. Number five, UConn. Visiting Seton Hall, by the way, bullshit. For UConn to fall to number five. Uh, LSU, I know they're rolling right now. They're undefeated. As is Ohio State. I mean, Ohio State, LSU, I mean, sure. But UConn dropping to five to make room for Stanford at four? Bullshit. Absolute bullshit. And UConn... I guess they took that anger out, especially after, you know, a poor showing against Georgetown Sunday. Second game in three days, and, you know, they took all that anger out on Seton Hall. You know, Seton Hall started off well. They were up, they scored, what, five of the first seven points of the game, and then after that, it was all it was all UConn. With only seven players, UConn wins 103 to 58. I mean, there were highlight plays across the board. Leah Edwards playing out of her mind. Uh, an assist on a backdoor cut from the seat of her pants from Amari DeBerry. And they, they were just clicking on all cylinders. I would say it's easily the best team game they've played all year, and I think Gina Wariema would 100% agree with that. Because the Huskies shot 56.5% from the floor and they were 10 of 15 from deep. That That's making two out of every three. Nearly 67%. And just 10 turnovers and turned Seton Hall over 14 times. Six block shots as well. And 29 
assists on 39 made field goals. 22 weeks to lead the way for Dorka, Juhas, and Aubrey Griffin. Juhas with 11 rebounds, 8 of 11 shooting, 4 of 5 from deep. Griffin, 8 of 12 from the floor, 2 of 3 from deep, 8 boards, 3 assists. Aliyah Edwards, easily the best all-around player in this game. 21 points, 11 boards, 4 assists, 9 of 16 shooting, 2 block shots, and 3 steals. Lou Lopez-Senechal was also great. 17 points, 6 of 15 from the floor, and 2 of 3 from deep. How about Amari DeBerry off the bench? 21 minutes, 13 points, 5 of 8 from the floor, and a perfect 2 of 2 from deep. And she's definitely not known for her 3-point shooting. And then 4 each for Nika Mule, and Mule was 1 for 5 from the floor. I mean, she clearly shot the worst out of anyone on the team, but had 6 boards and 13 assists. And then Enish Betancourt, 4 points in 10 minutes off the bench. Also, 49-38 odds on... 49-38 edge on the glass for the Huskies. By the way, only two players in double figures for the Pirates, none of which were starters. 19 in 20 minutes for Jayla Jordan, who fouled out. 7 of 14 from the floor and 2 of 6 from deep. 12 points in 16 minutes for Victoria Keenan, who got all of her points from deep. 4 for 10. And again, all five starters in double figures, in single figures. Lauren Park Lane, 9 points on 4 of 15 shooting, 6 boards, and only 1 assist. Three different players with 4 points each, which were Sidney Cooks, Shea Hagens, and Azana Baines. And then 3 players with 2 points each, Shailen Pinkney, Maya Bembry, and Amari Wright. I mean, 7 players are putting up 103 points. That's pretty impressive. Now, number 22, Villanova hosting Xavier Wildcats continuing their red-hot start to Big East play. They're now 8-1 and one in the league, and they double up Xavier 76-38. They also held Xavier to just three points, three points in the second quarter. And Maddie Watch, well, we're officially getting into the home stretch of it. She dropped 27 in this game and had 10 rebounds, 10 of 18 from the floor and 2 of Four from deep. And Lucy Olsen, a tremendous compliment to her. 7 of 13 from the floor. 2 for 5 from deep. 19 points. 5 boards. 4 assists. So those two, those two outscored Xavier's entire team. How about 8 off the bench for freshman Megan Olbreeze? In 15 minutes. 3 of 3 from the floor. 2 of 2 from the free throw line. Seven points for Christina Dalsey, who also had a couple block shots. Five each off the bench from Caitlin Oriole and Zanae Jones. Two each for Maddie Burke and Kylie Swider. And Swider, again, she doesn't really see the court a lot, but she was able to score in three minutes off the bench. Uh, Brooke Mullen didn't score in 23 minutes as a starting as a starter, but had a team high. Six assists, and also Bella Runyon had a free throw in 18 minutes. The Cats shot nearly 55% from the field and only needed to make five three-pointers on 15 attempts. And they were also 15 of 18 from the free throw line for 17 turnovers. And Xavier, 4 of 10 from deep, okay, but inside the arc, just, just yuck. 10 of 35, that's 28.6%. 
Only one player in double figures for the Muskies. Fernanda Ovalle, 31 minutes, 12 points, 3 of 9 shooting, 1 of 3 from deep. 8 points for Michaela Scarlett, 3 of 10 from the field, 1 of 2 from behind the arc. 6 each for Anaya Harris and Kasia Woods, and Woods got all of her points from behind the arc, Harris inside the arc. 4 for Nyla Blackford in 22 minutes, 5 rebounds. Uh, 2 points for Megan Harkey in only 3 minutes, and then Courtney Pranger held scoreless. And same with Kaylee Addy, Taylor Smith, and June Ruiz Asque. So Xavier, they are 0-10 in conference. I mean, looking like exactly the team that was projected to finish dead last. I mean, I'm just flabbergasted that they have looked like this. Considering the start they went on. But shifting gears to Wednesday. Let's start with at Carneseca. Marquette St. John's. Marquette still without Liza Carlin. And they're, they've gotten exposed a lot more with her out. Because now you have to depend on Jordan King and Chloe Morata a lot more. And St. John's was able to take advantage with a much more balanced team effort compared to Marquette. And the Red Storm get back on track with a 66-61 win at home. By the way, undefeated at Carneseca, their only home loss this season was at UBS to UConn last week. 18 East to lead the way for Jayla Everett and Kadasia Bailey. Bailey 6-9 of nine from the floor, 6-6 six of six from the free throw line. Everett 6-13 of 13 from the floor. Two of five from deep, but Danielle Patterson was the X-factor in this one. 17 points in 26 minutes off the bench. Six of nine from the floor. One for three from deep. And then six points for Jillian Archer in 24 minutes. Five points for Unique Drake off the bench in 30 minutes. Again, Mimi Reed's struggles continue as Drake has taken over more of the minutes at point guard. Reed just two points and an assist in 18 minutes. Raven Peoples was held scoreless but had eight rebounds. Didn't even get a shot off either. And I, Here's the thing, though. St. John's, yes, they got a rebound of 41-24, but they got to the line a lot more. And Marquette was even worse from three at three for 11 compared to St. John's at four for 14. And from the field, St. John's was a lot better, 52% compared to 38.5% for Marquette. And not to mention... They had to rely heavily, as I mentioned, on King and Murata. Those two combined to score 51 of their 61. King with 27 and played all 40 minutes. 10 of 18 from the floor, 3 for 4 from behind the arc. Chloe Murata had a double-double. And, by the way, King, 6 boards, 4 assists. Murata with a double-double. 24 points, 12 rebounds, 11 of 22 from the field. And then the next highest scorer off the bench was Nia Clark with 4 points in 13 minutes. And then Kennedy Miles, Rosen Kumu, and Micaiah Williams, each with two points. And then Emily LaChapelle was held scoreless in 19 minutes. So St. John's back on track. They move into a three-way tie for third in the standings. Along with Creighton and Seton Hall. 
Right now, I'm trying to figure out technically where they would be in the standings. I I, I mean, Creighton, we have the three seed right now. I think Seton Hall and St. John's. I think Seton Hall would barely have the edges of the four seed. St. John's five, I think. Now, down to the nation's capital, Georgetown hosting DePaul. And this was an upset pick that I, I, I think I lucked out. And I ended up getting it right. But sure, is it better to be lucky than good? Yeah, but... I feel like I made an educated guess on this, but Georgetown made their run in the second half. It was tied at halftime, but hot three-point shooting and great rebounding carries the Hoyas to a big win at McDonough Arena over the Blue Demons. 87-73, Kennedy Fauntleroy gets back to the how she was looking early in the season when she looked like clear front runner for freshman of the year. 25 points, played all 40 minutes, 8 of 16 from the floor, and 4 of 6 from deep. 18 points, 9 boards for Grace Ann Bennett, and nine uh, and 3 assists as well. 15 for Kelsey Ransom, 5 boards, 4 assists. Christina Moore, 12 points, 4 of 8 from the floor, and 3 of 5 from behind the arc. Brianna Scott, big off the bench, 19 minutes, 9 points, all from behind the arc where she was 3 for 5. Four each for Jada Claude and Ariel Jenkins. And Jenkins provided a huge boost in nine minutes off the bench. Five rebounds. Two of two from the floor. And again, Georgetown, red hot shooting from three. Ten of 18. That's well over 50%. They shot 47.6% from the floor. A 39-32 edge on the glass. And they hold DePaul to just six of 21 from behind the arc. 45% from the field, still pretty good, but limiting them behind the arc, that was was big. Darion Rogers with 22 points, 5 boards, 9 assists to lead the Blue Demons. 8 of 17 from the floor, just 2 of 9 from deep. Anissa Morrow, another double-double, 17 points, 11 rebounds. 8 of 20 from the floor, though, 1 for 5 behind the arc. Jory Allen, solid in this game, continuing the momentum she's built. 14 points, 5 of 8 from the floor, knocked down her only 3 of the game. Kendall Holmes, 12 points on 3 of 5 shooting and 2 of 4 from deep. And then Anaya Peoples and Kiki Rimmer, each with 4 points, the latter of which did it off the bench. Peoples, 6 boards, 1 of 5 shooting though, and then Rimmer, 2 of 4. So the Blue Demons have fallen to 500 in conference play. And they have a date with St. John's coming up. On Saturday, which I'll have my pick and the rest of them coming up a little later on. And then last but not least, Providence visiting Butler at Hinkle. Butler has been building some momentum. You know, they got they have two good wins, both on the road in conference play. Obviously, the quality of them is not great because they beat Xavier in Georgetown. But hosting Providence, the Friars doing their job and they've looked better on the road in conference play as well and thanks to having all five starters in double figures a pretty pretty well balanced scoring effort and also happened to getting 15 points from the bench and funny thing is you know Butler's bench really good in this one but Providence 40-27 edge on the glass and they shot much better from the floor Friars win 
on the road, 74-66, as they improved to 3-6 and six in the league, 12-8 and eight overall. So again, a 74-66 final, 16 points, 9 boards, and 33 minutes to lead the way for Grace Afosa. And again, all five stars in double figures. Janae Crooms, 12 points, 11 rebounds, and 5 assists on 6 of 10 shooting. 11 for Kylie Shepard, 6 boards, 5 assists, 5 of 11 from the floor, and 1 of 3 from deep. 10 each for Olivia Olsen and Bryn Farrell. Farrell, 3 for 7 from the floor and 2 for 4 from behind the arc. Olsen was 5 for 10. Emily Archibald with 8 points off the bench in 17 minutes. They got a 3 from Megan Herter and then 2 each from Audrey Koch and Noriah Scott. The Friars, 52.5% from the floor, 4 for 12 from deep, that's 33%. And they also hold Butler under 40% from the floor and just under 30% from deep. Caroline Strand leads the way, 23 minutes off the bench, 18 points, 6 of 7 from the floor, and a perfect 2 of 2 from behind the arc. Rachel McLemore led all starters with 12 points, 5 of 14 from the floor, and 2 of 4 from deep. Sydney Janes, 10 points on 4 of 9 shooting in 23 minutes. 7 for Trinity White in 13 minutes. Jessica Carruthers, 18 minutes, 6 points. Anna Mortog back in the starting lineup, 18 minutes, just 2 points on 1 of 8 shooting. And back to the bench, Jordan Muehlman's 26 minutes, 5 points on 2 of 4 shooting and 1 of 2 from deep. 4 points all from the free throw line in 8 minutes from Kendall Wingler. And then in 16 minutes, 2 points for Kelsey Taylor. And, I mean, the standings on the women's side, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, UConn-Villanova, the clear one and two right now. You got that three-way tie for third, as I mentioned. DePaul sitting in fit in sixth at four and four. Marquette's now under five hundred at four and five. Providence in the eighth spot at three and six. Georgetown is leapfrog Butler for the ninth spot at two and seven. Butler now tenth at two and eight. And then Xavier still in search of that first conference win, sitting at 0-10. So, as I mentioned, Maddie Watch is entering the home stretch. She's now just 18 points away from breaking Shelly Penafather's all-time scoring record at Villanova. And, as I mentioned, at the end of Monday's episode, joining me right here, right now, coming up next, Megan Moorhart, who has seen Maddie's journey basically since the beginning at Villanova and also covers Villanova Athletics for the Philadelphia Inquirer. She joins me to put Maddie's march to passing Penafather into perspective coming up right now. Maddie Watch is heating up and given how the chase has been it's pretty much inevitable that her record will fall Friday night in Omaha at Sokol Arena uh, meaning the record of held by the legendary Shelly Penafather and joining the show now to put into perspective just how special this moment will be uh, she covers Villanova athletics for the Philadelphia Inquirer and has had a pretty pretty much a front row seat for the entirety of Maddie Seager's Villanova career it is Megan Moorhart. Uh, Megan, uh, thanks for uh, finally, I know we met at the Big East Tournament last year, but it's good I finally got you on the show and for something pretty big. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I love, you know, I've loved watching Maddie and, you know, it's great to see her kind of get to this point. So I'm excited to be here. So, I mean, first and foremost, as I said, you know, you've had a front row seat um, 
to, for Maddie's entire career, you know, covering her for the Villanovan. I mean, what's it been like just watching her just, you know, step after step that's taken her to the culmination of breaking a record that has stood for 36 years? Um, it's been incredible. It's definitely cool to kind of have been there her freshman year or her redshirt freshman year and, you know, to watch how much she's matured too. And you can see kind of like her confidence has grown um, and just, she's always been, you know, naturally skilled. And you could tell as a freshman that she had that, you know, just, like I said, like natural ability, um, but just to see how much she's grown and her maturity and her leadership. And the craziest part to me is how like humble she's remained through it all. Like just talking to her, um, she's breaking all these records. She's the all time free throw leader. She's second rebound. She's very close. Like you said, to Shelly Pennefather's record. Like she just has, is one of the most humble people I've ever talked to. Um, and to be that successful and have that humility is, um, incredible. So it's been awesome to, you know, watch her and get to cover her for the last, last two and a half years. It's been awesome. And as I've mentioned before on the show, the women's game deserves so much more of a pla- a bigger platform because of the fact that like Maddie Segris is averaging what leading the country, 28 points a game and she fills it up and more people talk about Caitlin Clark because she has more of that national profile. ESPN, you know, when you have the Fox deals, they I'm, I'm, I'll be real. They tend to ignore you when you don't have an ESPN deal. But again, she's leading the country in scoring. I mean, what impresses you the most about just her playing style? How, despite all the attention she gets from opposing teams, how she just continues to put up these big numbers night after night? Um, I think the biggest thing for her is she just never – panics like she you can throw two defenders at her you can you know guard her deny her in the post it's not going to matter like she just she is confident in herself and her teammates have that confidence in her and she has that confidence in her teammates where her patience just kind of allows her to always get what she wants like you can think she has like she has so many quiet 20 point games and like that sounds ridiculous to say but you could think that for her it might not look like a great game and then you look up and she has 20 points and 10 rebounds and you're kind of like how did that happen and so I think it's just crazy for me to watch like no matter what they throw at her um she always kind of finds a way to adjust she just has so many skills and different moves and just her variety is crazy and I think that that kind of it allows her to kind of find success no matter what um I mean this year she hasn't scored below 21 points in a game um, even last up on Saturday, she had 14 going into the fourth quarter and ended with 32. So like, she just, she always finds a way and her patience and she's never flustered. And I think that's been the most remarkable thing to watch. And I think the biggest thing, uh, one of the biggest things is obviously Harry Peretta's coaching style, um, more of that methodical slow down, you know, pace where, you know, like, I, I still remember like seeing some of the box scores, you know, like it's his teams rarely would go above 70, really. I mean, 60 plus, okay, but 70, you're like, oh, he's really speeding it up. But, I mean, how would you view the evolution of her game? I feel like it must have been an enzyme, if you will, getting, um, you know, Coach Dylan to help her just skyrocket with her tra- uh, transformation. Yeah, I think just, like you said, the style of play is different. Dylan's much more into like defensive intensity and turning defense into offense. And so they run a lot more, they try to pressure a lot more. And so it's definitely caused Maddie to have to change her game a little bit, but I think they still do a good job of running their half court offense. And so Maddie's able to kind of set that stuff up, but I think it's also helped Maddie become a better defender. And so I think that by having to kind of be taken out of her comfort zone and have to learn to play in Dylan's style, 
I think it's helped her a lot. And I think it has also advanced her offensive game because it added the transition game. Um, and she's just such a smart player. She has such a high basketball IQ that I think she fits into almost any system. Um, and so she's been able to adjust and I think it's, it's overall helped. I think it makes her a more like complete player and her stats have shown it. She's increased in almost every category every year, like consistently she has a bump. Um, and so I think that, you know, it's, it's definitely interesting to see the different styles of play, especially considering that Dylan was coached and played under Harry Peretta. Um, but they're definitely a little different. And I think Maddie's thrived under both. So I think that's also cool because she can play a bunch of different styles, which is, which is important in a player. Now, another thing that I definitely have been thinking about, uh, considering that, you know, the men's team this season hasn't been going their way per se. And while the women have just been continuing to thrive second place in the standings, um, I feel like with the with the profile that has been raised with this program and Maddie playing a big part of it, I think because of that, I think it's going to make it that much more special because now she has more of a following and more of that you know, the student fan base now rallying behind, I mean, the March Maddiness signs, I think that just goes to show just how much not not only have have the students rally around the team and the community for that matter, but just gravitating to her and essentially, you know, wanting to be a part of the greatness, kind of like, uh, you know, the farewell tours that we've seen in sports in recent years, like wanting to be a part of that and, you know, relish it before she finally moves on to the pro ranks. Yeah, I think it's taken, you know, a long time for the students to kind of get on board. And I think that, you know, as especially since Dylan got here, like they've gotten better every year. And last year, you know, beating UConn and then getting to the second round dance tournament. And this year, having the record that they have and being ranked, I think has definitely caused people to take notice, um, especially on campus. I know it could still probably be better, not probably, it could still be better, but I think she is a huge part of that. And I think that, you know, people are starting to recognize how, like she's a generational player. And I think people are starting to take note of that. And um, even like you've noticed like the men's team, you know, they are supportive of the women's team just the same. And like, they all will, they'll all share stuff on social media of her and of the team. And I think that that definitely has helped, you know, the students, but I think it could still get a lot better, but I think it has been a lot better. I think it's really cool. I think it's the players notice it. I mean, I know on Saturday there wasn't a ton of students because we were still on break the first day of classes today. Um, but there was a lot of local, you know, the community was there and they showed up and the crowd was incredible. And Maddie just spoke to how, how she's seen it grown and how important it has been for them and their success. And, you know, they love playing in front of a fin that's packed. And so hopefully the students kind of take a little bit more note and they will start showing up a lot more because it is special. And right now they are the team on campus to watch and they are, you know, the team that is representing the university on a national level. Um, And she's a huge part of that. She is the reason. And Dylan has said all year, like, we're going to go as far as Maddie can take us. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a special year and she's, she's the key part in that. So that, that, by the way, I have to ask about this because just looking at, you know, on the ESPN app and just seeing that 528 to go in that St. John's game, 99.8% chance of win probability in favor of St. John's. Um, a player like Maddie has to play a big role in make, getting that 0.2% to come into fruition. But I definitely got to ask just how that, and seeing that unfold to end the game on a 21 to two run, probably the most improbable comeback 
uh, that I'm guessing you probably ever seen in person. Yeah, for sure. It was incredible to watch. And I, me and like the other reporters who were there, like we're sitting there and you could feel them getting into it in the start of the fourth quarter. You know, they put on the full court press and Maddie had that look in her eye that she sometimes gets like, you know, it's time to, it's time to take over. And like, we need to, you know, at least like put up a fight was kind of the, the vibe that they were giving. And then, you know, they were chipping away and chipping away and the crowd was getting into it. And, but it just still kind of felt like, you know, it's probably not going to happen. Like they're, they're going to fight till the end and they're, you know, going to put up a good showing, but it just didn't feel like it was going to happen. And then when they cut it to nine, it was like, okay, like maybe, but it was just incredible to watch and see like just, they were just so determined and they all had that look in their eye. And I think it starts with her. Um, I think she really sets the tone and you can tell that when she's playing relaxed and playing free, they all are because they're all like more relaxed and she's not pressing and doesn't feel the pressure. Um, but there were also WNBA scouts in the crowd the other day. And so she, I'm sure felt the pressure at the beginning. It's hard not to like, she's getting that national attention. She's getting that pro attention, but that was the perfect example of who she is. Like she just put the team on her back and kind of brought them all along with her and they all helped. And, you know, to their credit, the defense was a team effort, but she was just like, she just had that look and it was, they they were not going to go down without a fight. And, you know, they ended up on top, but it was, like you said, like, probably the craziest I've ever seen in person. It was, it was insane. Now, obviously when it comes to a player, um, a generational talent um, in terms of, I mean, the quote I remember, um, I mean, I'm a wrestling fan, but uh, Gorilla Monsoon saying Hulk Hogan taking one more step towards immortality. I mean, it's, she's already achieved legendary status and we all know the accomplishments. She's going to break the, Villanova all-time scoring record. She's going to crush the Big East all-time scoring record, uh, which is legendary in and of itself. I mean, but what kind of steps can Maddie really take where she can be approach that immortality status and top everything she's done leading up to this season? Yeah, I think it really is just going to kind of, she's done everything she can individually. Like she's going to come away with almost every record. Like you said, Big East, Villanova and Villanova men's or women's like she's just going to be the school's leading scorer and then also she's going to likely break she's going to be the big fives all-time leading women's basketball scorer and she's has a chance to be the city six as well so including Drexel and she's I think individually she's kind of done everything she can do um, to kind of be solidified as Villanova's best player of all time but I think that the thing that will kind of make her like you said like kind of achieve that immortality will be how well the team does I think that if they can you know, pick up a big win in Big East, whether it's like over UConn, or if they can somehow come away, like, I mean, get to the Big East championship again, maybe even win this year, or, you know, win one more or two more games in, in the NCAA tournament. I think that that kind of takes her that step forward. If she can really, and you saw she did on Saturday, like she put the team on her back. And I think she almost seems more poised to do that this year than she was last year, I think, because she's kind of just accepted that like, that's her role. And I think the whole team has as well. And she has a really good supporting cast behind her. Um, and she knows that. And so I think that if she, if they can, the team success, I think is kind of what's going to extend her. Cause if they can have one of their best seasons historically, and she's their leader while doing all this individual stuff, I think that really will kind of speak to who she is because she's such a team player and she's an incredible leader. Um, she's one of their team captains. Like she just, and I, like I said before, one of the most humble people ever. So I think that the team success matters more to her and therefore I think will kind of take her to that next step. So last but not least, I mean, this how important is it that Maddie will 
break this record. I mean, we talked about this before. Would it be nice for her to do it at the fin in front of the home crowd? Yeah. But I think the better trade-off is, yes, she's going to have to do it on the road in Omaha. But the upside is having a national TV audience uh, watching on FS1. Um, I mean, I, I feel like you you must share the sentiment. I guess if you can give a nudge to people to want to watch something special uh, happen and watch a generational talent. I mean, feel free to, you know, get on your soapbox and uh, give them that nudge and give that explanation as to why having this national platform on the in a road game is better than, you know, doing it on on flow hoops um, at home. Yeah, I think it's something that I like. It's really big for me is to, you know, promote women's sports and, you know, have it be especially women's basketball. It's just like really close to me personally. Um, but I think especially with someone like her and at a school like Villanova, they are so often overshadowed by the men's team. And even in the Big East, like right now, like the women's Big East is incredible right now. They're all beating each other up. They're all like, it's a, it's a great, really talented conference right now. They've had four different teams be ranked um, at different points. And now Villanova's going, they're ranked 22 this week. They're going to play Creighton, who was ranked, I think as high as 16 at one point this year. Like they've been, maybe even higher, but they've been, incredible all year I think it's a really big opportunity for Maddie on Friday like they are on FS1 and what's really cool is Villanova men are on FS1 at seven and they're on FS1 at nine so it's a double header you know the men are on first women are on second so like it's just to encourage Villanova fans to like if you're going to sit there and watch the men's game from seven to nine like stay there and watch the women's game at nine like she's like I said a generational talent she has a chance to do something really special on Friday especially against the team who came to the fin and beat them by 20 plus early in the year. So they have a chance to kind of redeem themselves. And if she can do that and pick up that huge win, especially going into the UConn game after that, like they play Creighton and then they play UConn, she can pick up this win and kind of solidify that record on Friday. Like, I think it's something really special that, you know, it's not going to come around often. And by the end of her career, that record might be close to somewhere that like people might not get. And so she is just an insane talent and I think it's so worth it to kind of pay attention and pay attention before it's too late like they're more than halfway through the season they're almost halfway through Big East like now's the time to kind of tune in if you haven't already so you heard her nine o'clock FS1 the record of, that has stood for 36 years I'll, again I'm a Utica native Shelly Pettifather was from Utica it's gonna pain me a little bit but no one <laughs> more deserving uh to break this record than uh than Maddie again nine o'clock FS1 Nova Creighton Megan Moorhart you know she's had a front row seat to her entire journey uh leading up to this record and uh, obviously you know getting it to that mark where you know it might become untouchable for w well past 36 plus years uh, after she says this. Megan, thank you so much. I uh, look forward to seeing you uh, at Mohegan Sun come uh, Big East Tournament time. And uh, again, couldn't thank you enough for, you know, putting all of this into perspective for everyone listening. Yeah, anytime. Thank you so much for having me. Going to wrap up the episode with my weekend picks coming up right after this. All right. So without further ado, let's get into these weekend picks, shall we? Uh, starting on the men's side, Friday night. As mentioned, you know, it's a Villanova doubleheader. The women will play in the nightcap at 9, but at 7 from the Garden, Villanova's St. John's. Villanova just wiped the floor with the Johnnies when they last met. That was way back on December 21st. So 
nearly a whole month later, here they are again, and in different spots. Villanova now three. Both of these teams are three and five in the league, but St. John's trending upward, having won their last two games at home against Butler at Carnesecca, and then throttling UConn at the XL Center. You know, the way I see it, like kind of like what back in December, Villanova they just needed that one win over Oklahoma that got them to three and five in the league, and. Well, three and five overall because they were two and five heading in, and kind of like how they were two and five in conference heading into the Georgetown game. You know, I might be crazy for picking this, and I know based on the home win percentages that I need to take St. John's. You know what? I don't think I will. Give me Villanova winning in the Garden now Saturday. Doubleheader on FS1. Number eight, Xavier hosting Georgetown. I mean, after getting your hearts broken and losing your unbeaten record in Biggie's play to DePaul, well, you could argue that maybe Xavier was overlooking DePaul, I guess. I doubt it, because why would you look overlook DePaul when you have Georgetown? Xavier's going to take out their anger and frustrations with with and just annihilate Georgetown at home. That I can see coming from a mile away. Hell, I wouldn't be shocked if they ended up winning by like 30 plus. And I'm really curious to see what that spread's going to end up being. Now, 2 o'clock. Providence, number 22 in the country, hosting DePaul. You know, DePaul's going to be coming off the high of that win, but let's be real. I mean, look at how they've done in conference play on the road versus at home. I mean, they're 3-5 and five in Big East play, as I mentioned. They are... They're 0-3 on the road. And 3-2 and two at home. And this is the first of two road games in Big East play. So, DePaul's got to prove to me that they can win on the road in the Big East. I just don't think they're going to do it here. Providence back at the AMP. And again, they've lost their last two games both on the road. And those are their only two losses in conference play. So I'm going to take the Friars protecting their home court. Now, 4 o'clock on CBS Sports Network. Seen Hall looking for another upset of a top 20 team as they welcome number 20 Marquette. 4 o'clock on CBS Sports Network. You know, I think if you're Seen Hall, like, you, you're going to be happy. Well, going into the week, I think the expectation is if you can find a way to split, you're doing pretty good because these are quality teams. If you beat one, that's a Q1 win, no matter how you size it up, barring some, you know, catastrophic collapse, which I just don't see. Even with UConn and how bad they've been, I I, I just don't see that happening. I, I, I would assume and hope they get their heads right and get back in the win column and start winning. Maybe not get back to the level of dominance they were at during non-conference play, but at least look a hell of a lot better than they have been. 
But in this one, listen, I mean, Marquette, they're such a well-oiled machine. And Seton Hall had a lot of problems with them in Milwaukee back on December 27th. I know a lot's changed since then because Seton Hall, after starting 0-3 in the conference, they have won five of their last six. But I'm going to take Marquette winning at the Rock. And this, it's going to sound weird. Maybe it's me doing a little reverse psychology, but I've picked against Seton Hall, what, how many, how many times now? Let's see. Uh, well, Justin, during their stretch of being on fire. Well, the last two home games that they've had a picked against them, St. John's and UConn, and they won both. Maybe it becomes three in a row here. I mean, as a Seton Hall fan, obviously I'd love to see them win, but my head's telling me Marquette. I just think Mar- that's a bad matchup for the Pirates. So I'm going to take Marquette and prove to 8-2 and two in the league. Now, Sunday on Fox at 12, high noon, number 15 UConn hosting Butler at the XL Center. If there's any game for them to bounce back in, it has to be this one. I mean, that's who they started Big East play against way back on December 17th, and they annihilated them 68-46 when it looked like they were head and shoulders the best team in the country, even better than Purdue at the time, although Purdue has proven to be maybe the best, right up there with Houston as the best team in the country. But I think, and, and here's the thing, UConn looks a hell of a lot better at Gamble than they do at XL. But UConn has owned Butler the last few years. They've won five straight since returning to the Big East. Make it six. Give me the Huskies winning on the road. Over to the women's side. Friday night, again, 9 o'clock FS1. You're going to need to watch. You're, I And I, I implore you to watch as Maddie Segrist tries to make history. And or that the, I think it's a foregone conclusion, unless God forbid she gets hurt or something, that she will set the new Villanova all-time scoring record. Again, she's 18 points away. Number 22, Villanova visiting Creighton. You know, Villanova again. They're second in the league at seven and one. No, eight and one. Right? Yeah, they're eight and one. And Creighton just two games behind at six and three, but they've gotten their confidence back. After going through quite a tough stretch where they fell to five and they lost to an unranked Providence team at home, but since then they've been dominant. Three straight wins by a combined by a combined sixty-seven points. And again, Villanova is on fire. And their last loss was December eighteenth. And what is it, a seven-game win streak? But given how the last game went between these two teams, I, I'm i going with Creighton. I know the narrative, I think Maddie Seegers would love, if she breaks the record, great. But it's not going to feel as good if they lose the game. But unfortunately, I just think that's what's going to happen. I'm going to say Creighton winning. In Omaha. Now, Saturday, 12 noon on SNY, number five UConn hosting Butler at Gamble. 
I mean, foregone conclusion, doesn't matter how many players they have, UConn's going to beat Butler pretty badly. Now, which one do I want to do next? You know, let's do Georgetown-Providence, shall we? So that's at 5 o'clock. Rematch of last year's Big East Tournament. First round game, which Georgetown roared back and dominated and ended up dominating thanks to, you know, big a big performance from the now-graduated Milan Bolden-Morris, who is now on the coaching staff for the University of Michigan football team. Providence, I think they're... And Georgetown's looking better, too. I mean, they shook off a pretty tough, long losing streak. And Providence, you know, they've been up and down. They've exchanged wins and losses in each of their last... Let's see. I'm going to try to backtrack this. So they've exchanged wins and losses in each of their last one, two, three, four, five, six games. So based on the trend, you'd think Georgetown's going to win. But I think at Alumni Hall, I know Providence has actually looked better at home than they have on the road. And Georgetown, but here's the thing. Georgetown, their two conference wins have both been at home. I think this is the time where Providence wins a Biggie's home game. I mean, last year they were better on the road too. But I think Providence will defend their home court and defeat the Hoyas to get revenge for that Biggie's tournament first round loss from a year ago. Now, also at 5 o'clock in Chicago, DePaul hosting St. John's. St. John's, I think they got a little bit of their confidence back as they went on the road, as, as they beat Marquette at home. Granted, Marquette still without Liza Carlin. But again, they really, really needed that one. So, who am I going to end up going with? I'm going with DePaul. I mean, DePaul's gone through a really rough stretch. I mean, they started 3-0 in the conference. They've lost four of their last five. But their only win coming at last place, Xavier. But I think at Wintrust, I mean, they got to find their swagger and their confidence again. And... They need to beat another quality team in the league, and I think St. John's is a good team to do it against at home. So I'm going to take the Blue Demons taking down the Red Storm. But if St. John's wins, I mean, that will definitely prove that, hey, maybe they can finish top five in the league. Because right now they're trending more closer to six. But, well, they had been until beat until they beat Marquette. Marquette's still been trending downward. And speaking of Marquette, Sunday afternoon on FS1 at 3 o'clock, they'll host Seton Hall. Uh, the Pirates now have lost back-to-back games, including that ugly home loss to UConn, where they gave up 103 points despite UConn having just seven players. And Marquette, they have now lost four of their last six. And what was it, the last... 
hold on a sec. I'm going to try to find this. And they played the last, let's see, five games without Liza Carlin. No, the last three games. I, I clearly can't do math. But I think back at the Al, Marquette really needs this one. They got to get their confidence back, and they clearly are better at the Al. And they haven't really had a lot of Big East home games. They've only had, what, three? Yeah. They played Butler, Villanova, and Providence. They've only played three home games in Big East play so far out of the nine that they've played. And this is the halfway point. You want to go into the second half with some momentum? Do it right here. I'm going to take Marquette beating Seton Hall. I think Pirates look a little disoriented, and I think Marquette will capitalize here on their home court. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Igloo. Thanks again to Megan Morehart for breaking down and putting Maddie Segrist's historic run into perspective. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and I'll catch you next time here on the Igloo.